0: Amen. Good morning. morning. I'd like for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 24. And as you're turning there, we're just going to welcome everybody that's uh, joining us on Facebook this morning and those who are listening on our FM transmitter or however you may be listening on podcasts. And certainly those that are gathered here today, we're glad to see your faces. (laughs) Love and appreciate each one of you. Last week we began studying about the marriage, uh, arranged marriage, between uh, Isaac and Rebekah. Abraham had sent forth his servant to find a bride for Isaac, and we're going to continue that theme, the title of our message, A uh, Bride for a Beloved Son, and it'll be the conclusion of our message today, and we look forward to seeing how this is all going to work out for Isaac and Rebecca. I have a sneaking suspicion that we will have a happy ending uh, to the story, but we'll get into it in just a moment. But before we do, let's bow our hearts in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Uh, I thank you for the privilege of being the pastor of this church. I thank you for the privilege of preaching the word of God today. And Lord, I just ask that you would open our hearts Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. I ask for your anointing and for your grace. And I ask that you would touch hearts and lives, save souls, restore, heal, deliver, and do those things that only you can do, Father. And we will give you praise for all things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. A real brief recap here. Abraham has determined to uh, find a bride for his son isaac and of utmost importance is that this bride would not come from the among the canaanites there was not to be an unequal yoke there because the canaanites were pagans they did not worship god and so abraham is going to send his servant this unnamed servant to the land of mesopotamia that he might uh, find a bride from among abraham's relatives his kin and we learned that his brother Nahor had uh, uh, had, had some, some children. And then uh, those children had had some children. And among those was Rebekah, the, the daughter of Bethuel. And so we're going to uh, join our story. And we know that the servant, he is dispatched to Mesopotamia. Roughly a 450-mile journey. And he has this entourage with him. Uh, there's 10 camels that go. And when the servant reaches Mesopotamia, he comes to a well where the water, uh, the women, young women come out to draw water. And it just so happens that Abraham's prediction came true that the angel did prepare Rebekah, the very one uh, that was uh, ordained for Isaac to come out and draw water. And the servant asked for a fleece, if you remember. Uh, he asked for a special sign And he said, the woman that you've chosen for Isaac, she will not only give me water when I request water, but she will also water my camels. Okay, and if you were not here last week, you can't appreciate this, I don't guess, but we talked about some fun facts about camels, and they can drink anywhere from, you know, 20 to 40 some odd gallons, depending on how thirsty they are. And so the fact that Rebecca was willing to water 10 camels was no small sign that the servant had asked for. That was quite a a lot of water, a large quantity, and she's just got one pitcher of water. You know, she's just going back and forth. And so she proves herself to be of of the caliber of person that would be a a great wife for uh, Isaac. She meets all the qualifications. And as we left our story last week, the servant is worshiping the Lord, even though he's not exactly sure how things are going to work out. But we will soon see. So we're going to pick up in verse 28, Genesis 24. I divided this into four sections and uh, four out, outlined into four different points. They all start with the letter W. For those of you that like that sort of thing, uh, I, I've chosen four points. A worldly brother, wonderful servant, a willing bride, and a wedding ceremony. Okay? So let's talk about a worldly brother first. It says in verse twenty-eight, the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. We see again her haste. Uh, she is she's very active. She's not lazy, and she runs in haste. But it says in verse twenty-nine, Rebecca had a brother. Don't don't they all? <laughs> you know the difference between in-laws and outlaws. Outlaws are wanted. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. I love my in-laws, but, you know, not everybody has that blessing. But Rebecca had a brother, and his name was Laban. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, my father-in-law's here, by the way, so, I, you know, I'm scared after the service he's going to beat me up now, but I'm just kidding. It, my, my father-in-law, Mike's a good guy. I love him. love Cheryl, too. Uh, all right, enough of that stuff. Um, his name was Laban. Laban ran out to the man and unto the well. If you know anything about Laban, you know what kind of character he is. But uh, in the Genesis narrative, we've not really been introduced to him. But it's interesting how we are introduced to him. Notice in verse 30, it says, And it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelets. That's, that's our first introduction to Laban. He's a man of the world. He's a worldly brother. He, he wasn't impressed with the story of how Abraham is of the kinfolk. Uh, of, of Rebecca and how he's been blessed by Jehovah, but his, he was impressed, his first impression, now the King James says the earring, but we've already established last week, uh, Nazir, it's a it's a nose ring, and uh, I know that offends our sensibilities, but it was a different culture in a different time, but it was a nose ring, and they were bracelets, and they were apparently of, of quite some uh, value, thousands of dollars in our currency, um, and so, when he saw those things, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me, then he came to the, unto the man, and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. So we see the servant is patiently waiting by the well with the camels. <clears throat> and he said, Come in, thou blessed of Jehovah. You notice Lord is all caps there. So Laban is familiar with Jehovah. God. We don't know that he worshipped him necessarily, but uh, he certainly acknowledges the covenant name of God. And he says, Wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. You wonder when he had time to do that. I mean, that was, <laughs> but apparently he's got some motivation. What is his motivation? The nose ring and the bracelets and, and the camels and the wealth. And so he, uh, he, he's in a hurry, you know, because he, he sees an opportunity here so that's the worldly man now let's talk about the wonderful servant see how quickly we moved on to point two they won't all move that quick but sorry to disappoint you let's come to the wonderful servant it says and the man came into the house and he ungirded the camels this would be Laban uh, not the servant he ungirded the camels gave straw and provender for the camels and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him and again this is a different culture, but this would have been customary uh, hospitality to wash the feet of the guests when they come into the house. They, after all, they're, you know, they're walking in the sand and they're wearing sandals, and so this is, this is normal protocol. Washing feet to us is a strange thing, but that's just a normal protocol in that day. Now we get to verse 33, and it says, And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine Aaron, and he said, this would be I'm, I'm assuming, speak on. Now, I want to make a point here, as we talk about this servant, and he, before he sits down to eat, he says, I must tell you the message. Now, this came into my spirit as I was praying this week. This phrase kept coming over and over. There can be no fellowship without relationship. There can be no fellowship without relationship. That just burned in my spirit over and over. Now, something that may not be evident and apparent to you and I, because, again, we come from a Western background, but for the servant to refuse the hospitality meal. The hospitality hospitality was a big deal in the East. It was a huge deal. For the servant to refuse the hospitality meal would have been a real breach of etiquette. Okay? It would have been totally contrary or counter to the culture of his day. And what that tells me, remember this unnamed servant, he is a type of the Holy Spirit. He is a, a picture of the Holy Spirit. Is that the message of God does not conform to the culture. The methods change, but the message never does. It's a timeless message. And so the servant here is not concerned with the culture, you see. What our problem today, we're so concerned with the culture that the preacher's taking a survey before he gets to the pulpit, you know, to find out what the people want to hear. And the Bible says in the last days that men will have itching ears and they'll heap to themselves teachers. And so, but we must understand that the servant here, he ignored the culture of the day. Because what was most important was not uh, 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 risking offense to the, 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 the guest here, the, the, the host, but rather the proclamation of the message, you see. And so if I'm going to be a good preacher, I can't worry about offending you. I have to worry about pleasing God, you see. Because if I please God, it doesn't matter if you get offended, but if I please men and offend God, we got a big problem. If I should be a servant of men, I should not be the servant of Jesus Christ. And that means sometimes you won't like me, but you'll have to love me anyway, because the Bible commands you to. But i got to do what God tells me to do, and every preacher that's called of God must do that. So, But he will not eat until he has spoken the message. Now, in verse 34, he announces himself. He says, and I am Abraham's servant. Now, he's an unnamed servant in this particular chapter. But if you back up to chapter 15, I think it is, you'll find out that his name is Eliezer. Okay? Now, interesting fact here, Eliezer's name in Hebrew means helper, which is yet another name for the Holy Spirit. In John 15 and 16, uh, the Greek word is parakletos. It is translated comforter, helper, or advocate. Isn't that interesting? Eliezer, he says, I am Abraham's servant. And notice again, the Holy Spirit does not speak of himself, but he speaks of the greatness of his master. Jesus Christ said that he would not speak of himself, but the things that he hears, that will he speak, and he will glorify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always seeks to exalt Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ is being exalted, you know the Holy Spirit is at work. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. He said, I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. Notice he speaks of the greatness of God. He speaks of the greatness of the Father. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. Those were the symbols of wealth in that day. They, you know, It wasn't about cryptocurrency. Uh, but it was about the, the property. And isn't our Father blessed? Um, Uh, He is the owner of the the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in this world belongs to God, even the air that we breathe. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old. And unto him hath he given all that he has. You see, he speaks of the miracle birth of the son. Our Holy Spirit speaks of the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was born of a virgin. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he is the heir of all things. Notice Abraham has given Isaac. Notice this has already happened. He's given him all things that he has. And my master made me swear, saying, "You shall not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land, um, whose land I dwell." So again, the Spirit of God speaks of the separation, the purity that needs to take place. But he says, "You shall go into my father's house, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son." And I said unto my master, "Perhaps the woman will not follow me." You see, there's always going to be the potential. For uh, refusing the opportunity, and he said unto me, "The Lord before whom I walk will send His angel with you, and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife from my son of the kin of my kindred of my father's house. Then shall you be clear from this my oath when you come to my kindred, and they shall not. Uh, and if they not give thee one, you shall be clear from my oath. Now this is important." This is so important here. Uh, We, even though God has gone before us, even though he is sovereign in the matters of salvation, you and I are always going to be faced with a moment of opportunity where we must make a choice. Choose you this day, whom you will serve. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve? Who is going to be your master? Now, you might say to yourself, "Why is the servant? Why is he telling this story over? Well, you do understand that for Rebecca, this is the first time she's heard the story. She has met the man, but she doesn't know the backstory, you see. How do we come to faith in Christ? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We hear the word and we respond. There must be the proclamation of the message. And so the servant is telling the message because uh, we need to hear. Now I'm going to skip some of these details because we've heard them. But um, in verse 45 he says, When I had done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she drew water and... uh, Verse forty-six says that she gave to the camels uh, to drink also, and he said, "I ask her, whose daughter are you?" And she said, "The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who milked a barren name. And I put, now again, the King James says, "I put the earring upon her face." Does that sound awkward to you? It's because it's a nose ring (laughs) Um, and the braces. And I bowed down my head and I worshiped the Lord. We see the servant over and over again. He is worshiping the Lord. Now, verse 49, he says, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. Notice again, there is the opportunity to reject the offer of the servant. Now notice what what they say in verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered, and they said, this thing proceeds from who? Jehovah. We can't tell you one way or the other. This, This is from the Lord. This is not something that we can argue with. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard those words, what did he do? Let's take a moment and worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise be unto God. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you about this great story. we thankful, Father God, that you answered the prayers of your servant. You're a gracious God, full of compassion. Lord, I just sense your presence in this place this morning. Lord, do something special among your people today. Do something special among your people today as we read this glorious story of how the Father finds a bride for his precious Son. Hallelujah. Now, Now the price has been paid. The exchange has been made. And now there is relationship. And now there's time for what? Fellowship. The servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebecca. And he gave also to her mother, her brother and her mother precious things. You know, you and I, we have been given exceeding great and precious promises. We have the gifts of the spirit In Ephesians, it says that we have been uh, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That is an amazing promise. The down payment, this is the bride price, this is the dowry. And the servant is paying the bride price, and the Holy Spirit is our bride price. It is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And now notice in verse 54, it says, They did eat and drink, and the men that were with them, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning and said, Send me away unto my master. And notice we see the brother is going to hinder again. The brother and the mother said, Let the damsel stay with us a few days, at least ten. That number ten seems to factor in somehow or another. And, and he's seeking to hinder, but what does the servant say? Don't hinder me, you see. We must seize the opportunity when it's here for us. There is no promise that the Holy Spirit will call us over and over and over and over again. When the Spirit of God is dealing with our hearts, we must respond in faith today. The day of salvation is always today. It's never tomorrow It's never next week. It's always, there's there's a sense of urgency. The the, the day of salvation is today. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. Now, apparently... Uh, These are Hurrian culture um, that that they are operating under. And so, apparently, the bride, even though it was an arranged marriage, she could still consent to go or not to go. It's interesting, isn't it? You and I have a choice. And they called Rebecca under her. And they said, "Will you go with this man. And what does she say? We have the willingness of the bride. I will go. God is sovereign. We have been chosen in him, but he will not violate your will. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. Now we come to the wedding ceremony. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse. We'll find out later her name's Deborah and Abraham's servant and his men. This is quite an entourage. And they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, You are our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those that hate them. Sounds a lot like the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now I want you to notice something in verse 61. Rebecca's going with these other virgins. And they rode upon the camels. And what are they doing? They're following the servant. (laughs) While we wait for the marriage, you and I have to be led by the Holy Spirit. We are led by the Spirit of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I think about... Uh, Matthew 25 where Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like unto ten virgins I wonder if this is not the inspiration for that parable because there's ten camels and he says there's a cry made behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him these ten virgins are going to go out to meet Rebecca excuse me to meet, to meet Isaac so she's a willing bride and she's following and she's going her way Now in verse 62, it says, And Isaac came uh, from the way of the well, actually in the Hebrew it's Ber Lahairoi, which means the well of the one who sees me. And if you've read Genesis, you know that this place was named such because it was there that God appeared unto Hagar, who was Sarah's maid. Now, it's interesting here that this is the first time we've seen Isaac since Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, Isaac is offered on Mount Moriah. But if you remember, the Bible says that Abraham came back down the mountain, but it didn't record Isaac coming back down. And that's because this is a type and a shadow. After Isaac was offered on Mount Moriah in a figure of speaking... He came back from the dead on the third day. But then he vanishes from the narrative. We know that after Jesus Christ arose from the dead, he ascended back to heaven at the right hand of the Father. And we will not see the Son again until it's time for the marriage. Do you begin to see the layers unfolding, layer upon layer upon layer? Jesus is synonymous with weddings. He is the bridegroom. John the Baptist calls himself, what, the friend of the bridegroom. The first miracle that Jesus performs is where? At a wedding. Uh, Paul says that the mystery, there's a great mystery concerning the church. The relationship between a husband and a wife is a mysterious union, and it is the closest thing that we have to understanding Christ in the church, a husband and a wife. So Jesus is synonymous with weddings and the bridegroom analogy. Uh, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is likened to a father that made a marriage for his son in Matthew 22. So it's interesting that the first time we see Isaac again is after he's been offered on Mount Moriah. And he's in the, well, uh, the place Lahairoe, which is where God spoke to, to a Gentile, by the way, Hagar. In verse 63, it says, And Isaac went out to meditate. That's the only time this word is used uh, in the whole Bible, uh, interestingly enough. And I guess the closest thing we have to understand it is to pray. It's not transcendental meditation, but it's prayer. And it is, Isn't it interesting, again, that after Genesis 22, the work of Jesus as Redeemer is done, or Isaac, is, His work is done, but now we see Him only praying. Jesus, as our Savior, the Lamb of God, he, His work is done, it is finished. But now, as our high priest, what is He doing? He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So now we see him in his high priestly role. Uh, Isaac is meditating, and it says it was at eventide. Now every little detail in the Bible, I believe, is there for a reason. And we see that when Jesus returns for his bride in the world, it will be dark. uh, We know that... Things are not getting better in society. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In the latter times, Paul says, men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of demons. They'll be ever learning and never able, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They'll be lovers of, them, of their own selves. But at eventide, he lifted up his eyes and saw... And I just, I love this phrase. (laughs) He saw, behold, the camels were coming. And I guess if we were watching this on the big screen as a cinematic production, at this moment the symphony would begin to swell. We would begin to hear that emotional music. Uh, And this is going to be one of those great uh, theatrical moments. He sees uh, the camels were coming. Now keep in mind, as we talk about this wedding ceremony, that, uh, that it would have taken a while to, to have made this journey on camels. Now, uh, we, we learned last week that a camel can go up to what, what do we say, 40 miles an hour? Now, chances are they're not going at warp speed on these camels. Uh, I, I'm just going out on a limb here. They're probably not. So let's just conservatively say maybe that this journey would have taken a couple of months. To, get, to go this, this way on foot, on camel. And uh, Rebecca has, has got about a month or so, you know, maybe 20 days to a month or so, to, to hear all about Isaac. And I'm sure she was asking the service some questions along the way. Just uh, endure my folly here for a moment as I, as I just conjecture about what that might have been like. Here she is about to meet this guy for the first time. And they're not just going to court one another. They're not just going on a trial run. Uh, they're going to be married. And she doesn't know anything about him other than the fact that he's rich and he's, he's wealthy. And so I imagine all along the way, she's asking the servant, what is he like? What is he like? And I'm sure the servant told him, he says, well, uh, he, he's a wonderful kind of guy. Uh, he started out as a miracle. He was named before he was born. And his his mother was not able to have children. And his father was 100 years old. And his father Abraham had already met with God. And had seen a lot of miraculous things. And now he was born. He was a miracle baby. And they went through a lot of ups and downs. You know, ins and outs. But he's a marvelous sort of fella. He's a miraculous sort of fella, And and he's probably telling him all about Melchizedek and he's probably telling uh, Rebecca about how Isaac was offered on Mount Moriah and how he came back from the dead on the third day and she's just marveling and she's she's just soaking it all in and, and you know even though she doesn't see him like Peter said even though you've not seen him but we love him we love the lord even though we've not seen him. And she's getting this mental picture in her mind of the greatness of the Son and of the faith and the love and the grace of the Father and of the Son and all of his gifts and how he uh, possesses wisdom and how he's a, a godly man, he's a pure man, he's a wonderful man, and he's a, a wonderful-looking man. And her, I can just imagine uh, as the camels are taking her on this journey that she's building it up in her mind as to what it would be like. You know, I'm about to be married to this wealthy young man. What, how is my life going to change? What's going to be different from me? What is my life going to be like? And I can imagine the enthusiasm of the ones who are with them uh, in the entourage as they walk. And then we get to verse four, 64. And it says, that Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, it's rather unfortunate that our English translation says she lighted off of her camel, or it may say dismounted. Your translation may say she dismounted. The Hebrew word here is nephal, and it means to fall off the camel. And so what I envision here, and I don't think I'm far off base here, is I think Rebecca was so overwhelmed when she saw Isaac, it was the first instance in the Bible of love at first sight. she, She had heard about him. She had read about him. She had heard the witness of the servant, but now she would behold him face to face. And in that moment, she did not dare stay upon that camel. She just had to fall. She had to fall. And the implication here is that she fell prostrate. In submission and reverence. She lighted off the camel. Folks, one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to split the eastern sky. The father is going to say to the son, All right, go bring him home. It's time for the marriage. One of these days, you know, and I, I can just imagine what it was like in that room when Jesus comes to his disciples and he tells them that he's getting ready to leave and they're devastated. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Paul would describe it this way. He talks to those Christians who are mourning the loss of their loved ones. He says, we don't sorrow as those without hope. Now, we still have sorrow. The unbeliever is still sad when we lose a loved one. But we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so then which sleep in Jesus shall God bring with him. (laughs) For the Lord himself shall descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. When she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. Verse 65, for she had said, now you you might notice that, that had said is in italics there. Uh, that, uh, she didn't say it before she fell off the camel. She said it after she fell off the camel. She said it to the servant, What man is this that walks into the field to meet us? Who is this guy? In other words, she didn't know who he was when she fell off the camel. Now notice who the servant calls him. The servant says, Who is he? he's my master now up until this point who has been the master in the story Abraham Abraham has been the master throughout this whole narrative but now now that the bride has been brought Isaac is the master right now Jesus Christ is serving he's already served as the lamb of God he was sacrificed he was our prophet he's serving currently as our priest In the Holy of Holies right now. That's an awesome thought right now. Right now in the Holy of Holies, Jesus Christ is your advocate and my advocate. And we can come unto him boldly, the book of Hebrews says, boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in the time of need. Right now, that's where he is. But one day, soon and very soon, I believe, that old trumpet's going to sound... And to borrow the expression from Genesis, he's going to see the camels coming. (laughs) And there's going to be a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And at that point, he will not just be the Lamb of God and the priest, but what's he going to be? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the Son will now become the Master. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He said, it's my master. And at the end of verse 65, it says, Therefore, she took a veil and covered herself. That tells us two things. Number one, that women didn't go around veiled all the time, like like, like some would, would love for Middle Eastern women to do. But also, we know that women veiled themselves on their wedding night. She was, she was veiling herself because she was going to be married. And that helps us to understand how it is that Jacob woke up the next day without knowing who he had been with. Remember Laban, our friend Laban, the worldly man, he had, he had done the old switcheroo and Leah was in the tent instead of Rachel. And you wonder how that could have happened. It's because the women were veiled on their wedding night. Verse 66, we're almost done here. It says, and the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. Not only would there be a wedding, folks, but there's going to be a reckoning. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 67, Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. Notice she's been dead for three years, but that tent's still there. And he took Rebecca, and she became his wife. And he loved her. He loved her. God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now notice that Rebecca did not replace Sarah, but she was grafted in. Would you stand? This is a beautiful story, but this can be your story too. This can be your story. You and I have been invited to a wedding. The price has been paid. The servant has gone out. Since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been calling men and women to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I love, you know, here we've seen in this one instance, I'm going to read you something from John's Gospel. We have seen both the sovereignty of God And the free will of man. In John chapter 6, Jesus makes an interesting statement. And he says this in verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. That's sovereignty. And he says, he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. That's free will. Interesting in the Greek there. When he says, I will in no wise cast out, it's a double negative. It's "ume," I will never, ever cast away. So I want to ask you today, is the Father knocking on the door of your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit? Like the, like the servant in our story, he may never come this way again for you. If he's speaking to you today, I invite you to come. You come just as you are. And as you come just as you are, and you say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God will meet you where you are, and you can be saved. And this story can be your story. And one day Jesus Christ is coming again, and we are going to be a part of that great wedding of the Lamb that they sang about. If you want to be a part of that, I invite you to come to this altar today. Would you come?